Welcome to Happy to Be Here, your mental health starter kit podcast. We're talking about the price of eggs this week. (laughs) It's a silly joke, but we have to break the ice somehow, right? Today's conversation is actually about egg freezing, a trendier and way more expensive take on eggs. I've been seeing more people openly share their journey, which is awesome. But even as a viewer, I still have more questions than answers. Like how much does egg freezing actually cost? How long can you preserve eggs for? And do they ever expire? I'm excited to welcome Dr. Yoder from Spring Fertility to answer all of our egg freezing 101 questions. I'm Vivian, this is Happy to Be Here, and here's an egg freezing Q&A. I'm really excited about this conversation. I think egg freezing is a popular topic right now, which is really cool to see. But I think because it's such a popular topic, the nuances of what it actually mean are lost in the dialogue. So to have a sit down conversation with a actual doctor and expert in this space is something I'm very excited about and looking for, have been looking forward to for a while. Um, and so with that, I welcome Dr. Yoder, who is going to kind of walk us through this egg freezing 101 conversation, if you will. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's super exciting uh, to be talking about this. And as you said, it's a very uh, popular topic at the moment. I think a lot more people are realizing that this is an important thing in Mm -hmm. overall healthcare and women's health. Um, But I'm super excited to give you all the details, answer (laughs) any questions you have, and give you the sort of cliff notes version. I have my list already. Great. I love it. I would love for you to share a little bit more about your expertise as well, and then also spring fertility. Sure. So I am an OBGYN by training. I went to Cornell for medical school and then did OBGYN uh, residency at Yale. After that, I went on to do fellowship uh, specifically for infertility, reproductive endocrinology and infertility Mm -hmm. at NYU. And after that, I joined Spring Fertility here in New York City, right by Bryant Park, about a year and a half ago. And Spring Fertility actually opened in California in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. in um, some years ago now. I think seven years is how old Spring is. (laughs) Um, And we opened in New York City in September of 2021. So when that opportunity arose, I was happy to jump aboard because I heard wonderful things about spring and how they were kind of advancing the field and providing a different type of patient experience. Um, So I'm happy to talk a little bit about what that means as we get into the conversation, but um, I've had a great time here at spring. We've been having amazing results and have certainly been seeing a lot of egg freezing patients. It's so important to have these conversations like you mentioned before, because I think that often we don't know what it actually means or when we're supposed to start thinking about egg freezing or what that constitutes when you do start thinking about it, like what those first steps are. So I'd love for you to kind of start at the very beginning in terms of who are the best, I guess, for lack of a better word, candidates for egg freezing and what are some of the things you should consider as you're kind of pre-thinking about this? So I think one of the first steps in addressing egg freezing is really the educational part of it. Okay. Um, Because most people don't, we spend so much time in our formative years learning how to not get pregnant. Uh, That, I swear, they make it seem like you make eye contact with somebody immediately pregnant. (laughs) I went to an all-girls school in high school in New York City, and that is basically all of what sex education was. Yes, exactly. That is sex education. So we spend a lot of time focusing on that. Nobody really talks about not getting pregnant or trying to get pregnant and having difficulty. 
Um, and what you can do in that case, you know, what the next steps are and what you can do to prevent that or be proactive about that. So I think getting good education about fertility in general is really the first step and realizing, you know, one in eight couples actually end up needing some sort of assistance to achieve a pregnancy, which is a lot more than you would you would think. Yeah. And many couples, even if they don't ultimately need it, spend a lot of months trying before they're actually able to conceive, which is stressful um, and really unexpected for a lot of people. So I think the first step in my mind, sort of um, more from maybe a public health perspective, <laughs> is we really need to do a better job of educating people about fertility in general, and then also egg freezing as an option. Um, just, you know, what is it? And I'm really happy. I think now, now that has come to the forefront of the conversation and more people are realizing it is a good option. Um, so I'm really happy that it's starting to be a part of the conversation. You make such an important point on just the nature of sex education in the United States across the board, but also how much we don't know about what it even looks like to get pregnant if you are mm -hmm. trying to get pregnant or if that you want to get pregnant at a certain point. Remember, I had a fertility checkup um, a few months ago and I just turned 30 in December. And one of the mm -hmm. things that the nurse practitioner walked me through, who was also a woman of color, told me, you know, for a lot of the science behind it, they say like 35 is the age when a lot of the ovarian reserve diminishes. But in reality, that looks, that is studies that have mostly been done on white women. And so it looks, it can look a lot different. It won't, and not that it necessarily will altogether, but it can look a lot different for women of color. And even that nuance was to me such a revelation as like a Latina woman who's not ready to have children right now. But it's like, wait, that's, I, I mean, not that I was looking at 35 as like my, okay, I have until 35, but a little bit of that was in play. And then yeah. having that realization of, wait, when should I be actually thinking about these things for myself felt like a really big awakening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. It is a very select group that these studies have been done on. And there are certainly other studies that are starting to emerge now showing that people of color do tend to have higher rates of infertility baseline. Um and so I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that people are starting to have these conversations like you're the nurse mm -hmm. practitioner you saw. That's really excellent that she sort of brought that to mind. Right? I guess I'm not sure if you initiated the conversation or she did, but but that's what we need to see more of, I mm -hmm. think, is just people asking about it, it being part of the conversation. Um, and I, in my mind, I feel like it should really start to be a part of the routine OBGYN visit when you're in your early 20s. Um, and not that you need to act upon things in your early 20s, but at least to acknowledge that this is something we're going to talk about. We're going to touch base, you know, year to year, see where you are, see what your overall reproductive family planning goals are. And just, you know, once a year, kind of touch base, see, do I have any risk factors? Mm -hmm. You know, is there any testing that we can do to see if I, you know, have issues that might lead to difficulties conceiving? And then another thing that we can discuss a little bit in more detail is, you know, maybe a brief assessment of what does my ovarian reserve look like? Yeah. And that I have found in previous OBGYN visits, like my yearly visits, has been one of the hardest conversations to have with my OBGYN because for one, I, one of my most recent ones last year was with a man 
who basically mm-hmm. told me, you don't need to know that right now. It's fine. And dismissed my curiosity around my own health, which mm-hmm. was really diminishing, right? And an experience that I think so many women go through because the idea of talking about fertility hasn't felt like something that you do. Um, and as other people may be going through your, their annuals right now, what are some of those questions that they can do to advocate for themselves in those situations? And like, maybe ask more specific or pointed questions that get them some sort of results. So I think it's a good idea to, to have a conversation saying, hey, you know, I'm maybe not ready to have a baby right now, mm-hmm. but I'm curious if there's anything in my history or my physical exam that indicates to you that I may have more difficulty conceiving or sort of same side of the coin, you know, can we do something proactively to assess, you know, what is my overall ovarian reserve look like right now? Now, I'm going to caveat that by saying most general GYNs, this is not part of a routine checkup. It is not integrated into the the workflow. As OBGYNs, we're really good at fixing problems. Mm. So I think that's where a lot of the root of this comes from, is that we spend a lot of time saying, is there a problem? Great, I will fix that. Mm -hmm. Preventative medicine in the United States in general is not great, (laughs) but that also applies to fertility. Mm -hmm. We are not good as a, as a group yet at saying, Hey, you know, I know you're not ready for a baby yet, but let's do whatever we can to prevent maybe issues in the future or be aware of issues that might happen in the future. It's always easier to fix something that's a problem in front of your face than it is to, to look forward and say, what are we going to do preventatively or what are we going to investigate preemptively? So I think for people looking for something to do, you know, that's active on their part, I think starting that conversation with their OBGYN provider is an important first step in saying, hey, this is on my mind. You know, I want to be proactive as we mm-hmm. can. I know it may not be part of what we were planning to do mm-hmm. today, but but if we could just address those concerns, just to start that conversation will we'll help, you know, get on top of any issue, underlying issues that may exist. And let's say they say no. What is, is that where like a spring fertility or a clinic that is more nuanced in their approach would make more sense? I think you even mentioned that the way that you guys care for your patients is distinctive and unique and compassionate um, in the intro. And so I'd love to know like, because I think a lot of people do end up in this space where they're not elevated to that conversation with their OBGYN and they may feel like they have no way out. Yeah. And and to be fair, as as general OBGYNs, we don't get a lot of training in this. Like I yeah. literally did an entire three-year specialty to be mm-hmm. able to, to speak about this and sort of even know what to look mm-hmm. for. So it really isn't necessarily part of the routine training that OBGYNs have. And it, and it, Maybe that they say, you know what, I, I don't have a lot to offer you or to evaluate you with. And that is where somewhere like spring fertility can okay. come into play. One of the things that I think we do proactively here is we offer free AMH tests to people. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever had an AMH test done, but AMH stands for anti-Mullerian hormone. And it's one of the components of things that we take into account when assessing someone's ovarian reserve. But it's a good way to be proactive about investigating, you know, what your ovarian reserve looks like. 
Um, and that's something that we do about every about twice a month, I would say, is we offer oh, cool. free AMH tests to people in the community to come mm-hmm. and have a blood test done. That's awesome. We'll talk about what it is. Yeah, we talk about what it is, what we can use it for, what we can't use it for. But it does help start get people into that mindset of like thinking about fertility, thinking about their future family planning. Um, and that's one of the things that we try to do just to make this information a little more accessible to people as well. That's really awesome. And I think it helps democratize the idea of family planning being an option for every woman instead of just some women. And I think yeah. my next question then is, would that be the first step in your journey if you were thinking about egg freezing? Yeah, I'd say the first step is really getting that initial evaluation of, of like, where do I stand in terms of going through a full medical history, mm-hmm. a GYN history, and then an evaluation of the ovarian reserve. What happens next? And also to that question, at what point should you be should the curiosity of, oh, maybe egg freezing is for me actually turn into, I should strongly think about what this looks like for me? Depending on what the numbers are that come back in terms of what does your ovarian reserve look like Mm -hmm. and how old you are, okay, really starts to form our conversation of what's the most appropriate timing for this to happen for you. Okay. And then what is actually egg freezing? (laughs) I think that a lot of people have been using that term and it feels so trendy, but what it actually consists of, even to me, is totally lost. Like, I don't know how long it takes or what it would involve in terms of your own actions with your body and stuff. Yeah, so egg freezing is really, just to give you sort of the broad strokes overview, of like Mm -hmm. what is an egg freezing cycle? So what we're trying to do with egg freezing is really we're trying to, Retrieve and store eggs at an age where your egg quality is is the highest or mm-hmm. you know as high as it will ever be. So mm-hmm. egg quality is one of the main determinants of fertility and fertility outcomes. And one of the main reasons why become becoming pregnant as you get older is more difficult. So mm-hmm. egg quality declines over time. We know that egg quality is basically as high as it'll ever be, you know, when you're in your, in your 20s. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a decrease around age 30. And then the reason you hear that number 35 mm-hmm. so much in the fertility world is because egg quality starts to decrease more significantly around age 35 and even further around age 37. Okay. So if you freeze eggs when you're younger, basically you're harnessing that reproductive potential of those good, healthy, high quality eggs. Mm. And then if you have trouble conceiving later and you need some sort of assistance becoming pregnant, mm-hmm. you're going to have the advantage of using eggs that are a younger age and have mm. a higher quality with higher pregnancy rates. So really it's our way of sort of capturing your peak fertility and <laughs> saving it for later use. Physically speaking, mm-hmm. what we're doing is basically we're trying to stimulate your ovaries to produce a whole bunch of eggs all at once. Okay. So normally, in a normal month, your body has a bunch of eggs that are recruited, Mm -hmm. but your brain only gives enough hormone to stimulate one of them to grow, and you ovulate one egg. And Mm -hmm. in nature, the ideal is you get pregnant with one baby at a time. Mm -hmm. What we try to do with egg freezing is hopefully we can stimulate a whole group of eggs to grow. And then instead of one ovulating, we grow all of them and we do an egg retrieval to retrieve all of them. 
and literally put them in a freezer (laughs) um, and save them for later use. So that whole process, Mm -hmm. it takes about two weeks period of time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a time investment, but it is a finite amount of time, about two weeks. Um, Over the course of those two weeks, you take injectable medications that help grow those eggs um, till they're a nice, healthy size. And then you have a trigger shot, which is just a different type of injection towards the end of two weeks and then an egg retrieval. At what point in, is there a specific point in your cycle that you have to start the egg freezing cycle? And also how long before you want to be able to start that should you be having like doctor visits? So there are a few different time points in a cycle where you can start an egg freeze, um, what we call like a stimulation cycle. Mm-hmm. It'll depend on, you know, different doctors will Got do it. things differently, but there are a few different options of time points of when to start. A very common time to start is with your period. So at the beginning of the cycle, you start medications. That's a very common protocol we use. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other time points, though. And sometimes we manipulate your cycle a little bit with medications beforehand if we're trying to, you know, time things appropriately or want to sync up all of your eggs in a more cohesive fashion. So there are, there are options of when you start in the cycle. I love how much this is like, I'm trying to invite everyone to the party at the same time when it comes yes, to like, yes, eggs. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. What we want is we want all of those eggs that you potentially have that month to all be sort of ready to go at the same time. So there are, there are different medications we can do to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's like oh, we're inviting <laughs> everyone to the party. Everyone gets to go, I know, right? go have fun in the freezer later. That's awesome. It's a really easy way to understand it as well. Are there any things in your life that would make it less likely for you to be a good candidate for X reason? Like if someone has periods that hurt a lot and they're dealing with maybe endometriosis or they have some kind of other menstrual related um, condition that they're coping with, do any of those impact your ability to egg freeze? So it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people come in here and say, am I a good candidate Mm -hmm. for egg freezing? And I feel like it's just, it's such a interesting way to phrase it. Cause in my mind, like everyone's a good candidate for egg freezing with, you know, as long as you are still in your reproductive years, having periods, Mm -hmm. you know, you still, you are not like post-menopausal. So barring being post-menopausal, anyone can freeze eggs. Now, there are certain conditions, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. people who might have like super heavy, painful periods. um, That can be a sign of underlying GYN diagnoses that may affect the outcomes. Got it. But really, it's just a matter of counseling those people appropriately, saying like, okay, maybe you have really painful, heavy periods. Maybe there's a little bit of endometriosis or something like that going on. It's always important to have a conversation about how that might affect their cycle. But even then, everybody is, is there's a broad spectrum of how that can present. So each case really is unique. But there are very few cases where we say you are not a good candidate and you we really don't feel like you should be someone who this is an option for. I feel like for anyone who's listening who has anxiety or struggles with their mental health, that's probably such a comforting thing to hear because this is already such yeah. a complicated, um, not complicated in sense of like 
process, but complicated emotionally of making this Mm -hmm. decision for your future self, that even fearing that it may not be right for you may stop you from actually walking through the doors and being like, this is something I want to explore for myself. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And it's interesting how um, I think it is one of the barriers Mm -hmm. to considering it is just anxiety about it because some people, you know, it, it really kind of forces you to kind of address your overall family planning goals, maybe take a step back and look at your life from a little bit, 10,000 foot view. And for some people that can be anxiety provoking. Um, so I think it certainly is something that comes with a lot of emotions. Um, you know, which is why I think it's better to start having this conversation about it and normalizing it a little bit, like doing it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, up front, because that is one of the things that a lot of people will come in and say, you know what, I'm doing this because I'm anxious about my future. And I feel like if I have some eggs frozen, it's just going to reduce my anxiety surrounding that. So interestingly, some people do this to sort of help with that I overall totally anxiety. See that. And I also think yeah. that when, and this is probably something that someone listening right now may be thinking about, but from the perspective of someone who is single and or someone who may be in a relationship, mm-hmm. Doing this for yourself, regardless of your relationship status, is, I th- I think personally, something that's probably very empowering and also doable. Like you don't have to have, yeah. be in a relationship and you don't have to be single to go through with egg freezing if that's something that is like you feel like you're being called to do. Absolutely. And we have people in all variety of relationship scenarios come in and do this. And Some people do it because they're not in a relationship. Some people do it while they're in a relationship, but it is something that they're doing for themselves so that the pressure is taken off of them. Um, So it it is interesting. We get the whole gamut of scenarios and life situations. And that's cool too, because I think it'll just make anyone feel a little bit more comfortable approaching this. When we think about the party of eggs that we're inviting in and then that are being retrieved, how would you know at retrieval if those, I don't even know if successful is the right word, but if it was successful or what success means after retrieval? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and it's one that uh, people are always asking. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, I have this group of eggs. So what what does that mean? What is their yeah. potential? Is this a good number? Is that not enough? Like, wh- you know, what do I do with this information? So What we can tell you from eggs is basically how many eggs are mature and frozen. Okay. So what exactly those eggs will turn into, Mm -hmm. you really don't know until you come back and use them and make embryos. But what we can tell you is on average, how do these, this number of eggs act for the age at which you froze them? So age is really our number one determinant of being able to tell you the potential of those of those eggs down the road, Um, which is why if you look on the spring website, we actually have something called an egg calculator, Mm -hmm. which is a mathematical model based on people who have come and done this before, but takes into account how many eggs you have frozen as well as how old you are when they when you did the egg freeze um, procedure. Got it. And that will give you percent chance of one live birth Mm -hmm. or two or more live births. That's really important to know. And 
I think it also is the beginning of a couple of other questions. I have so many for you, Dr. Mm-hmm. Yoda. I feel like I'm just like going <laughs> at this. <laughs> but I think so one of the other follow-up questions that I would have regarding that is what is the usual process to unfreeze an egg? So when you come back to use um, frozen eggs, mm-hmm. basically the, the this is all under the jurisdiction of the lab, yeah. but everything... When you come back to use them, you basically, and we have a conversation of, hey, like, I'm ready to use these eggs. It requires some sort of analysis of whatever the sperm source is that you're combining them with. But the process moving forward when you come back to use them is actually pretty pretty straightforward and not very labor intensive on the the egg owner's (laughs) part, I would say. The lab thaws them out. um, And I think it's important to know that not 100% of eggs survive the thaw, but these days Mm -hmm. we're actually pretty good at the freeze thaw process. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to take a little detour, that's actually one of the reasons that egg freezing previously wasn't thought to be that good of an option or that successful was because the freeze thaw um, we lost a lot of eggs in that process. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, the thaw rates would be like 50%. So maybe oh, wow. you froze 10 eggs, you'd end up with five on the other side. Mm-hmm. These days, our technology for doing the freeze and thaw is so much improved. We just have better ways of doing it that you really maintain most of those eggs when you thaw them. So, you know, for example, here in our lab, our thaw rate's about 93%. Okay. Um, whereas before, you know, historically it could have been something like 50%, wow. but that's one of the things that's made egg freezing such a good option for people mm-hmm. is that the thaw rates are really great. And we've really kind of figured out how to perfect the process. Um, but <laughs> to undigress, basically after you thaw them, the eggs will then be fertilized. And then we let the fertilized eggs grow out in the lab five to six days and see how many turn into embryos. Okay. So once you have an embryo, at that point, you can choose to test it, to test for its quality. So this is really where you get to see, okay, what did these this group of eggs really turn into? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically that testing process, all we're looking for is to see, does it have the correct number of chromosomes that okay. should be contained in an embryo? Are you thawing out one at a time? So usually one egg at a time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually we'll do all of them at once. Okay. Mostly because people who are ready to use them are, in most scenarios, have a a partner or somebody and they're ready to make, they're creating their family with that one individual. You could, you know, thaw some and not thaw all of them. But most scenarios, this is again, sort of depending on social issues. Um, most people want to know what they have total from that Got batch it. of eggs and thaw them and fertilize them all at once. Got it. I was asking more so in terms of, which is a really good point you just made, because I was thinking in terms of like, if you wanted to have two kids and you mm-hmm. were struggling with infertility and you're going in and maybe want to say like, okay, let's use half of them now. And then hopefully I get pregnant and then half later. Like I, I, it was more like a use now, save later kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the reasons that it's advantageous to thaw all of them at once and find out what you have embryo wise Mm -hmm. all at once is that if you don't have enough or Mm -hmm. don't have quite what you're looking for or hoping for, and you feel like you may do another egg free cycle or IVF Mm -hmm. cycle, it's 
always better to know that sooner rather than later. Got it. Because say you do have a good thaw from the first half and oh. you get pregnant. Yeah, you can never assume that the second half is going to be reflective that makes sense. of what was in that first half. That makes sense. And if you find that you don't have as many embryos as you would have liked or hoped for, and you need to do IVF again, it's one of the things that's a little time sensitive because of the way that eggs decline in quality over time. I was going to ask too, is there an expiration date on how long your eggs can be frozen for? There's not. Not that we are aware of to date from research studies that have been done. Um, You can have them stored indefinitely, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit sci-fi in my mind, but... um, (laughs) But you can have them frozen indefinitely. It does not matter how old you are when you come back to use them. All that really matters is the age of the egg when you froze it. Um, There are so many. Like, I feel like every time I ask you a question, I just have like 15 (laughs) more I want to ask. I think one of the big things that may stand in the way for people doing this is the fear between them and how much this may cost. Both in the Mm -hmm. how much is egg freezing going to cost me and also how much will it cost traditionally for un to unfreeze them, to thaw them out and to use them? Do you have yeah. like on average what those costs can look like? Those costs can vary widely. Mm-hmm. As part of it will be dependent geographically. There are definitely trends. Um, you know, I'd say an average in New York City, at least an average egg free cycle probably is around somewhere, you know, just shy of ten thousand dollars. Okay. Um, medications are usually on top of that. Okay. So it can be a wide variety, but we do fully appreciate that it it's a real number. Mm-hmm. Um, there are commas usually involved yeah. in that. Um, that's one of the reasons why at Spring we have a interest free payment plan. Mm-hmm hopefully to try to make it more accessible to more people because mm-hmm. sometimes putting that big lump sum up front is, is hard and challenging. And that's one of the reasons why we try to make it a little more accessible by making interest-free payment plans. So there's like a monthly payment mm-hmm. that you, that you do instead of a big lump sum, but, but that can definitely be a barrier. And um, it's encouraging to me that we are seeing a lot more employers start to have coverage. Yes. But it certainly is not a universal thing at this point. But I think it's definitely becoming something that we're seeing more and more of, which I am I'm cautiously optimistic same. about. I was going to say that was going to be my one note is that if you're listening to this and you are afraid of the price tag, asking your health insurance, just calling your health insurance and seeing through your work or something and seeing if it covers some version mm-hmm. of this could be really helpful. Um, I'm self-employed and I know personally for me, that's always been one of the things that I wish I had different health insurance for um, yeah. because so much of this would be coming out of pocket and an investment. But I think hopefully through this whole conversation, you've also heard how much of this feels like a holistic choice and figuring out like where you are in your life what the cost benefit is to doing this now. And even to your point, I think that for me personally, seeing so many companies invest in this as a, in attribute of health insurance or whatever they're doing for their employees actually extends a woman's ability to work for longer during her reproductive years. And is such a smart investment on their part um, because it also allows choice. And so I think balancing all of that out can help in terms of the, price tag for 
thawing them out and using them, that's usually associated with more like IVF costs, right? Correct. Correct. And just to give you sort of a, a like broad strokes, mm-hmm. you know, overview, I'd say the egg freezing price is usually reflective of about half of okay. what an IVF cycle is because it's really the first half of it. The second half of IVF is very lab intensive and is all, you know, part of what happens in the embryology lab. Mm-hmm. So usually if you come back to use them later, you're paying the second half okay. of, of what you would have if you had done IVF just upfront. Um, but that's sort of just general principles. Everywhere that you do this will have their own specific way they mm-hmm. price things out. But, but generally, egg freezing is about half the cost of doing an IVF cycle. That's super helpful to know. Are there any other questions that I haven't asked you that are traditionally asked if someone was coming into your office for like a consultation or going through this process in general? Yeah, I feel like um, one of the very, for people who are considering egg freezing, Mm -hmm. we get a lot of questions about birth control and how that affects the process and what do you do with that? Because that's that's also something that, you know, a lot of people are on birth control and concerned about, you know, if they have like an IUD or if they're on it, like how do you navigate That's that such a type good question. of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does this affect my evaluation? So with an IUD, the great thing about that is you can leave it in when you do this whole process. Some people are worried like, oh, I'm going to have to take out my IUD, get mm-hmm. it put back in. That was like not the most fun <laughs> yeah. experience. I don't want to do that. But you can leave IUDs in. They don't really affect any of our evaluation that we're doing for mm-hmm. egg freezing. Won't affect your follicle numbers or follicle count. Um, so those, it's actually very nice for me when people mm-hmm. have an IUD because they say, great, you're going to have birth control leading up to this. <laughs> and when you come out on the other end, you're all set. Some people, you know, who have been on the pill for mm-hmm. a long time, uh, we can see your ovaries be a little bit more suppressed in that situation. So it might be one of those where we have you come off for maybe a, a short amount of time. But a lot of people, we can just move straight into a cycle okay. before, you know, coming off of the pill. So that's another one. But you do stop whatever hormonal um, birth control you're on before doing a cycle, but you can usually jump right back on it during that cycle. Do the hormones and the shots you take for the egg freezing, what are the usual side effects and impacts of those? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. The number one side effect I would say is bloating. Okay. So as you go through this egg freeze cycle, in a normal month, your body really grows one egg, one follicle. So your ovary gets slightly bigger, but not that much. When we're doing this to multiple follicles at a time, your ovaries actually grow in size a, a decent amount. So if they're normally maybe the size of like a walnut, they can end up more the size of like an orange or a grapefruit, something Mm -hmm. like that. So just physically your ovaries are becoming larger. Mm -hmm. So the main side effect that we see is is people feel bloated. Mm -hmm. Fatigue is another one. So your body's doing some really hard work making all of those eggs. (laughs) Yeah. So fatigue's another one that that people will experience during the cycle. And then um, some people do feel more emotional, maybe more sensitive um, as the hormone levels get higher. So those, I'd say, are sort of the top three things that people may experience during a cycle. Do those taper off almost immediately after your trigger shot and the retrieval? So I'd say it probably takes about four or five days for those things to uh, 
improve. Mostly because it takes a little bit of time for the hormones to flush out of your system and also for the ovaries to start decreasing in size. Um, after four or five days, people kind of turn a corner of feeling, feeling a bit more like their normal selves. But then probably a week or two after the retrieval, you're like totally back to normal and it's kind of like nothing happened. When a patient walks out after the retrieval or touches base, I'm guessing after at some point, What's the general consensus mood and emotion wise from the pack that they went through this process? Mm. Cause you see so many patients who are going yeah. through this. And yeah. I think that anyone who has curiosity about this process may want to know also like what the outcome actually feels like in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think relief mm. is one of the biggest like feelings. People are like, Oh, I'm just so glad I did this. And I'm so glad that like I did this for myself and I'm done and I did it. And you know, and, and I, I have this like backup plan for myself in case I need it. It's, it's like a weight is kind of lifted off your shoulder. I can imagine that. This has been such a helpful conversation. I'm really excited to share it with the community and to hopefully help someone who may be thinking about this and didn't know where to turn. Thank, Dr. Yordo, yeah. thank you so much for jumping on here. No problem. It was my pleasure. And it was great chatting about this with you today. Where can people find Spring Fertility or your work? So you can find us online at springfertility.com. If you are in New York City, we are right by Bryant Park. And there are also many Spring Fertility offices in California as well and Vancouver. So you can visit the website to find all of our locations. Amazing. Thank you so much. I learned so much from my conversation with Dr. Yoder and I hope you did too. Don't forget to rate, review, or share. Happy to be here with a friend if you can. I'll catch you next Thursday with a new conversation.